Welcome back. <laughs> this is part two of the Quantum Business Book Club's first episode slash second <laughs> about Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So thank you so much for joining. I assume you just couldn't wait for more. I have worked out in between, so I got my energy back up because, yeah, talking about fear and the obstacles to success and the causes of failure is heavy. And now I am light. And what we're really going to dive into today, although it's the same day, but in this episode are the 13 steps to riches. It's going to be a little heavy on discussion in the beginning. And because as I sort of move through these steps, they build upon each other. And basically, by the time you get to the 13th step, it's I mean, I'm not going to say it's just an amalgamation of the previous 12, but there's a lot more sort of training and discussion and concepts to be shared around the first few steps. And then and then things really start to build. Now, you might be asking yourself, why the fuck does some hundred plus year old old white dudes take on success apply to you? I mean, here's the thing. It might not. I like researching the foundations of our knowledge and you might also be wondering, how the fuck is this at all woo busy? Because I thought season two was all about the woo. This is woo as fuck. <laughs> um, there's so much in here that I see being emulated by the, you know, energy workers and teachers and gurus and CEOs and, and all sorts of people that we look up to. And I didn't even know that they were essentially utilizing these tools and this framework to create success. And yes, they have a different vocabulary. And yes, it might come from a slightly different industry or domain. But that's kind of what I love about learning and researching and reading. You start to see all of the overlap. And the power is in finding something that resonates for yourself. This is one of those tomes that I check into regularly on an annual basis because I will forever and always be expanding my definition of success, of wealth, of riches, of abundance. It's not to say that it's a continually moving goalpost, but when I sit down and reflect and review and reboot, things change. Things are inevitably changing. The universe is constantly expanding, my friend, and that means you are too. So sometimes taking this big step back to see the big picture, and again, this languaging and the conversation could be perceived as marginalizing. It is very much misogynistic when you look at the language, but in the time when it was written, it was expansive. No one else was thinking or talking about these types of subjects. Now everybody is. And they're rewrapping it. They're white labeling it. They're pretending like it's their own. That's cool, man. I like to give credit where credit's due. So this framework, this discussion is really designed to give you the opportunity to say, well, in this moment, here I am. I acknowledge me. I acknowledge everything that I've invested and sacrificed and endured to get here while also recognizing there's going to be so much more to experience, to create, and to dream into to get to where I want to go. 
you're not listening to this because you're like really happy about where everything is at. <laughs> like, and you might be really happy where some things are at. And it's not to say you need to be disappointed or want more or there's never enough. I just tend to appeal to ambitious, intelligent people who always have some kind of a project they're working on, always have some kind of dream that they're trying to pull into their reality. It is a spiralic process, as in you will be continually dreaming up, implementing, strategizing, learning from, and attempting new and amazing things. You're also going to be ending, quitting, walking away from, giving up on, or simply coming to completion. It is a constant state of change. And so while we want to be acknowledged and to be seen, we start by doing that for ourselves. And these frameworks, it's like getting an Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs or the Energy Leadership Index. It helps us frame our experience and our perspective so that we can either try something different, go somewhere else, get something new that we haven't yet gotten, gotten, <laughs> achieved. And so we can expand and in that expansion, be free while also evaluating, how's it going, right? And I mean, I know I certainly did this for at least the first 25 years of my life and the first 10 years of my professional career, engagement, endeavors, but like always preparing for the worst. Guess what? <laughs> when you're constantly looking for problems, you find them. What I, again, really appreciate about these frameworks is they do just that. They frame out your perspective. They offer you support. They create a container. And within that container, there are boundaries, there are parameters, there are assumptions. Those aren't bad things when we are putting them in a, in a limited experience to help us understand and learn so that we can then break down those boundaries, push past those limitations, and step into a totally new space. Something I often talk about with my people is... There is no reason you should know how to do what you're trying to do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to this, right? We wouldn't be having this conversation. The how and the when are variable. They're a learning process. And it can be really frustrating. It can be really defeating. It can be painful. That was the first part of this discussion. But it can also just be. When I first moved to Australia and I would attend all these conferences and networking events that I mean I fucking hated whoever wants to like go to a networking event especially on like a Tuesday night after having worked all day but I called them my self-induced professional development program and before I got my MBA I literally thought about it like I was going to business school that totally reframed it rather than this like thing that I had to do to like, tick a box it became this expansive learning experience where I could play a different character where I could try out different ways of introducing myself or talking about what I do or just meeting new people. In these frameworks and in building out these structures, it actually gives you the opportunity to let go and relax. You'll hear me say, I mean, freedom's my number one. It's my raison d'etre. It is why I'm doing everything that I do so that I can, thanks, Rue, <laughs> so that I can create the, the, dream, reality that I desire. But it's in the discipline that I find my freedom. It's in bookending my day with a certain number of activities and habits. It's by having non-negotiables in terms of what I get done or what I 
do. It's living by my values. Now, those parameters, those boundaries, those frameworks, I can lean into them. Like quite literally, I can lean on them. They hold me up. So that's why something that is this old that, I mean, who knows? I think it's like open copyright now because it's been in publication for so long. There are a lot of people that get a lot of value out of this, and I'm one of them, which is why I'm sharing it with you and also created this crazy resource. So I mentioned it quite a few times in the part one. Part two, check the show notes. There is a Think and Grow Rich cheat sheet. I just realized I called it chest sheet. (laughs) That's a different resource. Cheat sheet that'll be linked in the show notes. It's kind of a summary, but it goes through all of the analysis questions that Mr. Napoleon Hill goes through and just kind of bullet points. I think my biggest takeaways, if you're like me and you just want to see the 13 steps to riches and be like, cool, got that. Or if you really want to hone in on each individual step and and go through his breakdown and potential takeaways, that would be useful as well. Something else I'm going to try and do during this discussion is share where I find some really cool overlaps because I've studied all the things <laughs> and um, I've participated in most modalities. Oh, I've gone to school a few too many times. And yeah, I just see so many commonalities. And I've seen so many people talk about these various elements, not necessarily in relationship to each other, which brings me to another point. This is ye olden times. <laughs> like the way this dude talks is misogynistic AF and it is 100% for white men by white men. So, you know, it's like I'm not the right person to kind of tell you how to approach this as a white person very much of privilege, but what I will say is for this particular discussion, it's the concepts that we're really honing in on this framework, if and how it might be applied to your experience. And that's the other thing that I actually really like about these sort of very old school frameworks. I say framework a lot. You can, should, and in order to be successful, must adapt this for your unique experience. These are simple enough that the complications that are your life and your business and your goals can absolutely be worked out through this particular perspective by viewing your end goals, your, you know, the wealth and success and abundance that you desire to create through this lens. And I clarified this in part one, but just in case for whatever reason you skipped that and jumped to part two, this isn't just about creating financial wealth. When Napoleon Hill, the author, or I certainly talk about creating success, you get to define it. Not only is your experience unique, but so are your goals. And he certainly points out that success can be defined in terms of contentment, peace of mind, fame, power, personality, happiness, and money. But money is by no means the be all and end all. And although none of these opinions, this foundational knowledge, these 13 steps to riches, they are not mine. They are not my opinion. I will try (laughs) to highlight what I am sharing my opinion, just so that you're able to delineate between my own perspective and bias and Napoleon's. 
I interjected that because I personally believe that money is the byproduct of success in happiness, influence, peace of mind, contentment, even personality. And those words are his. Interpret them as you will. And with that, I'm going to kind of jump into it because I feel like I've been jibber jabbering now for about 10 minutes. <laughs> we haven't even started talking about the, the book. So the 13 steps to riches quickly are desire, faith, auto-suggestion, specialized knowledge, imagination, organized planning, decision, persistence, power of the mastermind, the mystery of sex transmutation, the subconscious mind, the brain, and the sixth sense. I know a few jumped out at you. They certainly did me when I first read this book. I think what's super important as well is someone, if you're like me, you probably just want to like skim the headlines and get to the good stuff and figure out like, well, what's the map to my success and how do I create the wealth and abundance that I desire? It's funny, I just said desire because that's the first step. And honestly, if it's the only step you mastered, you'd be 80% of the way there. That's also why like we're going to spend a lot of time on the front end and it'll get We'll get pretty quick by the time we get to the last few steps, not just because one of them is called the mystery of sex transmutation, but desire is also fascinating to me. You hear so many different people, scientists, psychologists, sociologists, behavioralists, biologists talking about this point of inception and without this particular spark, not much else happens. Neville Goddard talks about it in his imaginational techniques. Every single manifestation teacher you've ever talked to mentions this concept of desire. I've certainly talked about it in terms of goal setting theory and the idea being that it's a particular feeling we are trying to create. And in fact, you have access to that emotional state right now. You have experienced the full gamut of sensation. And some people who I have worked with have said, well, I don't know what true love feels like, or I don't know what true safety and security feels like, or I don't know how to be content. Perhaps in like the grandiose, all-encompassing, endgame nature of those concepts. But the reality is, is like you felt the warmth of the sun on your skin. That's contentment. You have been born into this world. You've likely experienced orgasm. That's bliss. Security, safety, there have been moments in your experience, whatever they may have been, or however fleeting, that you've been able to tell your conscious and subconscious mind, I am safe in this current moment. We don't have to have led these crazy, privileged, amazing experiences to know the thing that we desire and enoughness <laughs> to call it in. And this, as Napoleon Hill says, is how to be and do so the dreamer may take off into action. He describes a method for desire and steps it out quite detailed in seven steps. You'll notice lots of steps. <laughs> but his idea for how to create desire, and I think this is useful and helpful. A lot of people will say, I don't know what I want, or I, I don't know how that's supposed to feel. I just sort of touched on that. Something else that happens, and you might be able to relate to this, especially for ambitious and successful people, once you have actually created your dream, 
once you have done more than you ever thought possible, you can kind of feel like you're stagnating or potentially even shrinking. And you're like in this limbo state. I can certainly relate. I know when I hit 30, at 20, sometime in my late 20s, I experimented with with five-year goals and writing down my goals and mainly to be kind of a dick about it and show like how they don't, that doesn't make any difference. And lo and behold, I achieved my not just five-year plans, but 10-year plans in two years. So uh, theory not disproven, but I like fell into this crazy slump because I had like had done everything I had imagined and I had everything I said I had wanted granted, it was very different than what I meant <laughs> when I say I wanted it. But I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. Sometimes we will set a goal for ourselves and then we get there and we're like, oh shit, this doesn't look or feel or even sound anything like what I expected it to. Like, yeah, we're here, but like, I, I'm going to get a lot more detailed in this request moving forward. So in Napoleon Hill's really, really detailing and stepping out these various steps, Again, take what you want, leave what doesn't resonate, but remember this framework or these steps because you might find yourself in a place where actually a method for cultivating desire could be really useful because you're just uninspired or feeling stuck or just don't really know where to from here. Method for desire, seven steps. Step one, focus exactly on what you desire. Ugh, pretty self-explanatory. Again, think about like the five senses, smell, taste, sound, sight, feel, the specific details of your desire. Step two, determine what you will give in exchange for this desire. Napoleon Hill goes on and on and on about like, there is no such thing as getting something for nothing. And so by focusing on the exchange, this will this is actually something that I have heard a lot in terms of money manifestation and wealth manifestation and just amassing and sustaining wealth in general is understanding what is it I'm willing to give in order to get. Step number three, establish a date that this transaction will be complete. And in that you are imagining by this date, you will already be in possession of that which you desire. Step four, create a plan for carrying out this desire and begin immediately, whether you are ready or not. Keep in mind, action doesn't necessarily have to be like physical taking action. It can, it can literally be a new thought. Like creating the plan is considered an action. I think we can overthink some of this stuff a lot, but by simply saying, well, I'm going to create an action and my desire is to lose a bunch of weight or gain a bunch of weight. Who knows? So here's my plan for that. And I'm setting my alarm in the morning so I can wake up and, and here's my shopping list for it. I'm going to create a budget for it. Like you haven't really actually, quote unquote, done anything, but you're changing your thoughts. You're changing your feeling. You're channeling that energy towards a desired end. Write out a clear, concise statement summarizing the above. So you write a statement that describes your desire that you want to possess by what date, what you specifically intend to give in exchange in the description of the action plan. Read this statement aloud twice daily, ideally once in the morning and once in the evening. And when you read this aloud, see and feel and believe you're already in possession of this desire. Again, <clears throat> these seven steps. So focus exactly on what you desire. Determine what you will exchange for that desire. Establish a date that you will possess this desire. Create an action plan. Write out 
the clear and concise statement summarizing the desire, the date, the exchange, and the action plan. Read this statement aloud twice a day. And when you read it aloud, feel like feel it as if it is already done. Yeah, you have definitely heard that before. But what I would question is, have any of the people that you heard that from outdated a hundred and something years ago? <laughs> because if not, they're pulling from this, this tome. So I think it's cool. I think it's cool to find the point of origin of knowledge. I think it's cool to find the first person. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think Napoleon Hill came up with this either. It's the first time I've read it in a business book. And what I am saving you is like the hundreds of examples he uses from the Henry Fords and the Thomas Edisons and the Woodrow Wilsons and the Franklin Roosevelts of which there are many in this book. So if you want to know how Andrew Carnegie built his wealth or how Charles Schwab <laughs> got involved in banking, read the whole book. In the interim, know that these tactics are supposedly pulled from having studied all of these incredibly successful and abundant people. So step one, desire. Step two, faith. Again, this is building on desire. So once you've established your desire, you now get to develop and cultivate your faith. Napoleon defines faith as the visualization of and belief in the attainment of desire. When you combine your thought with feelings, he suggests this constitutes a magnetic force that attracts the vibrations of other similar or related thoughts. Yeah, again, you've heard this before. And we're starting to get a little woo. A magnetic force that attracts from the vibrations of the ether? Cool. <laughs> and it's, it's only going to get a little more woo from here. What Napoleon believes is that with faith, desire, imagination, persistence, you have the equation for success. This is the equation he saw played out in hundreds of careers. This is what Andrew Carnegie, who supposedly commissioned this book to be written to prove faith plus desire plus imagination plus persistence equals success. And you will not be surprised that all four of those elements are part of the 13 Steps to Riches. He, he being Napoleon, spells out the self-confidence formula. If we feel like we lack faith, if we feel like we don't know if we can actually achieve this desired result, self-confidence is the key. And it is something we have to cultivate. I mean, I think each one of these, the reasons these are steps is they are skills. Having strong desire, cultivating strong desire is a skill. Imagination, you'll hear me say that a thousand times, is a skill. It's like anything else. We have to build that muscle. And faith ultimately starts with confidence, a, a belief without proof that something can be. So Napoleon Hill's steps to creating self-confidence are actually just reading these words. Am I going to read the whole thing? No, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Get the resource if you want. But just know the first step is essentially saying out loud, I have the ability to achieve the object of my definite purpose. I realize that the dominant thoughts of my mind will eventually reproduce themselves in outward physical action. 
I know through the principle of autosuggestion that any desire I persistently hold will eventually come true. And I have clearly written down a description of my definite purpose. So again, there's there's a lot more to it. But what Napoleon Hill suggests is just by simply rereading these words, saying them out loud, you will build your self-confidence. And the next step is the how. Autosuggestion. Autosuggestion is the medium for influencing the subconscious mind, according to Napoleon Hill. Now, I was reading a study recently about the subconscious and the idea that the subconscious is processing about 4 billion data points in any given moment. And that might sound like ludicrous, but if you think about your subconscious is actually processing your heartbeat and your oxygen intake and the digestion of your food and the physical movements of your body and the words coming out of my mouth through the movement of my lips. And also I'm looking around, there's light, there's temperature, I can hear my dog breathing, I can see the lights twinkling in the cityscape in the background. I'm noticing the audio going across the screen. I am thinking about what I'm going to say next. Like, I mean, I'm just shooting from the hip here. Our subconscious is processing 99% of our experience and we're not even aware that it's happening. Our consciousness, our conscious reality, our logical egoic state of mind has got about 1% of our experience and it maxes out at about, I'm butchering the numbers here, but I think it was 4,000 points of data in terms of what it can process in, in comparison to the subconscious. So with auto-suggestion, this is not going to be that different than like mantras or gratitude exercises or writing out your goals and putting them all around. And if from Napoleon Hill's perspective, it's not different at all. Again, though, this dude was writing about this shit in the 1920s. We've had a hundred years of people building on top of this. And the study I often refer to in terms of goal setting and achievement absolutely builds on these these theories. So how do we influence the subconscious mind? When a desire, idea, or plan appear, put them into action immediately. This may flash into your experience like inspiration, but this is a direct message from infinite intelligence. Treat it with respect by acting upon it as soon as you receive it. Again, I have heard that from every single manifestation teacher, (laughs) psychologist, creative coach, artist, when those pings, when those downloads, when those hits of inspo come in, do something about it. And that doesn't mean like you drop everything and record the song. It can mean you hum the melody into your a voice memos to save it. It can, you know, I, I do this with my clients. I've talked about this on previous episodes, but you have a squirrel cage where you're capturing your ideas so that when you do have the space and capacity, you can go back and act upon them. Something you're going to hear Napoleon talk a lot about is this concept of infinite intelligence. An artist I used to work with referred to it as the higher groove. In Theta, we call it creator. In most religious doctrines, you'll hear the term God. Call this energy whatever the fuck you want. Quantum physics (laughs) is one for the scientists. It's this power, this currency, this flow that is happening all around us all of the time. We can't see it. We can't explain it, but we just know it's there and it works. You know, people talk about like the internet or electricity operating in a similar fashion. Just because you can't see it or touch it or explain it doesn't mean it's not real. 
And when you do get a spark from this currency, do something about it. See yourself rendering this service or delivering these goods or engaging in this project and in this idea so that you will get your desire and apply with persistence. That is auto-suggestion. Something else Napoleon addresses a few different times and I've absolutely heard <laughs> in terms of be wary of, but he suggests skepticism and doubt is replaced by auto-suggestion. So by repeating your plan of action to attain your desire and even more importantly, visualizing and embodying the feeling that you desire is already being in your possession, that is the key to success. This, this particular chapter as well, he actually says, like, read through the whole book and then come back to this chapter on auto-suggestion and read it aloud. Read it aloud until it is automatic. So number four is specialized knowledge. And I'm just going to summarize. We've gone through desire, faith, and then auto-suggestion. Now, again, we are building on each one of these steps. Napoleon Hill defines specialized knowledge as personal experience and observations organized by imagination into intelligence. He suggests that knowledge will not attract abundance unless it is organized, aka it is not until our knowledge becomes specialized that we can really start to attain this desired experience of abundance and success. Plans are inert until power is applied. Power takes these plans and turns them into action. Power organized works towards this definite desire in the spirit of harmony. Harmony is another one like infinite intelligence. Harmony is defined as when multiple elements are combined, something new is actually synergized. We'll get more into that concept, but it's this idea that he doesn't differentiate between a thought a reality, an emotion, a result. In his perspective, these are all entities. They are all equal in their power and in their tangibility. It's just we've become accustomed to thinking that something is only real if you can touch it. From his perspective, that's just not true. And in fact, thoughts are incredibly powerful and therefore real because they are what then translates into the things that we can touch, right? The only way to achieve your desired result, your success, is to pursue knowledge actively, tangibly, thoughtfully, emotionally, by combining desire with belief and auto-suggestion. And it is in this combination that something special happens. Your knowledge becomes not just what is available to everybody, but a unique product, for lack of a better term. The fifth step is imagination. He calls this the workshop of the mind. And he, he actually differentiates between two types of imagination, synthetic imagination and creative imagination. I, I'm not sure how I feel about this. What I will say is imagination is a skill. And some people just feel like they do not have a creative bone in their body. That's just not, I just don't think that's true. We just might not think about creativity in a non-traditional sense. This podcast is a creative product. The way I think about business is incredibly creative. The way I'm able to strategize and I see all of the moving pieces and then I'm able to create a unique recipe with those various elements. I could combine those exact same 10 elements in a completely different way and get a completely different recipe, right? 
Now, I think Napoleon would call that synthetic imagination. Synthetic being where we're combining existing elements and we're just, we're not really creating something new. I don't know that that's a good or bad thing. It's just a different way of thinking and using your imagination. Now, creative imagination is when we, how does he put it? When the conscious mind is vibrating at an exceedingly rapid rate and you focus on the desire as a form of energy and you attach this to your imagination so that something that does not yet exist feels like it exists in your possession. So again, synthetic imagination is just bringing together old experiences, ideas, and plans. And by old, I just mean like in existence already. Whereas creative imagination is like focusing on desire and attaching it to an idea that does not yet exist. Now with imagination, specialized knowledge, auto-suggestion, faith, and desire comes the organized planning, the crystallization of these energies and these elements into practice. And that's because we kind of start to get into the nitty gritty here. And I sort of prefaced this whole discussion with like, why does this matter? By taking action, we're addressing the uncertainty, the lack of trust, the lack of faith. This whole process to me is incredibly empowering. And in our moments of greatest doubt and uncertainty, we can look at a framework like this and go, okay, well, let's try this. Or when we're simply trying to do something we've never done before, when we're trying to create something that literally doesn't exist, it just feels like something we want. Again, this framework enables you to pull it out of the ether, that desire and that faith, the specialized knowledge, the imagination, the auto-suggestion, just simply this, this belief and this steadfast willingness to try and make this thing real and bring it into the physical reality. It's how we embody our plans and our goals by taking these little teeny baby steps towards our progress. So I personally find that incredibly empowering. We're in a time now that is unprecedented. There are technologies and products and business structures and people doing things we never, ever, ever dreamed of being possible, let alone viable. I mean, we've got people who are just showing up on the internet, being themselves and making more than decent livings. <laughs> that, that wasn't even a reality. The only people that could do anything remotely close to that, that were celebrities. They were actors. They were in Hollywood. And they were not just being themselves, my friend. So this is an incredibly powerful time. And in as much as this is a hundred-year-old framework, like it applies so well. That's not what I, I was looking for, like a deeper, more profound word. <laughs> it just it applies to our experience. And I just I love it's like astrology or psychology, like these different theories and lenses help me look at my experience and my client's experience in ways that I would not innately do. And then I can see something I would never have seen before. So I just wanted to step it back because we're going to get into now like the, the nitty gritty, the physical reality of this. Organized planning is probably something I don't need to describe in detail. There's a lot of notes in it in the resource. The point being that it is in our discipline that we realize our freedom. And no one person has the sufficient education, ability, experience, imagination, resources to truly create their dreams all by themselves. That's not to say like you can't do it on an individual level. It's just like you're going to need to call in additional resources. 
not necessarily external to yourself, but different than what you've been doing up until this point so that you can create and achieve something different than what you've been doing up until this point, right? We're going to jump to the major attributes of leadership. So in part one, I talked about the obstacles to leadership. And the obstacles to leadership, you might be experiencing one or a handful, likely not all of them, otherwise you're probably not in leadership. The major attributes of leadership, I would suggest all need to be addressed to be an effective leader. And a big difference in effective leadership is this idea of being a leader by consent or a leader by force. I'm pretty sure you can figure out what that means. But the idea is that like you're going to find yourself in situations where people are forced or expected to be led by you. That's obviously not as ideal as being as consenting to this leadership role. So think, I mean, like if you get a job, your boss is your boss or the owner of the company is the owner of the company. As a business owner, you're beholden to the IRS. You're beholden to your city government, your local state, national government. These aren't leaders that you necessarily (laughs) voted in or want to follow. But you can still be a leader that your followers consent to regardless of if they had showed up by force or not. So that was a very convoluted, complicated way of saying, here's how you embody effective leadership, regardless of how you got to that position. And if you don't feel like you are leading anybody, remember you are always leading yourself. So unwavering courage, self-control, a keen sense of justice, definiteness of decision, definiteness of plans, the habit of doing more than paid for, a pleasing personality, sympathy and understanding, mastery of detail, willingness to assume full responsibility and cooperation. Yeah, if someone truly embodied all 11 of these qualities, they would be a compelling leader. And yes, the obstacles to leadership are kind of the opposite of each of these, but I think it's an interesting lens, (laughs) an interesting framework to analyze your own leadership. Where might you be lacking? Self-control can can be something that absolutely shows up for me. A pleasing personality. I have ruffled feathers my whole life. I am definitely not for everyone, but certainly when I am a leadership personality, I do my best to figure out what will be an effective way for me to engage in a relationship. And hopefully I'm not engaging in any relationships that force me to be something that I am not. I digress. The point being, in organized planning, understanding how you are leading and where you might be able to improve certain leadership qualities is crucial. I talk a lot about that just in terms of like avatar creation and and character development and leadership development is, you know, figure out like, what what parts of you might you like to develop? And this is a super powerful way of exploring that. The second part of organized planning, which was such a major light bulb moment for me, and probably one of the reasons I became such a massive fan of this book, is the concept of the mastermind. And again, masterminds are fucking everywhere right now. If you are a in the knowledge economy, you have some private fucking group that people subscribe to be a member of. And I say that with a little bit of sarcasm in my voice because, because (laughs) I don't want to talk shit about anybody, but this is what really helped me actually let that resistance go 
again, 100 years old, theory on how to be successful, you surround yourself with a group of people. And this kind of goes back to his concept of harmony and infinite intelligence. Because when you create this particular group and you bring these varied elements together, you create something new. This is your creative imagination. There's actually an entirely new entity that comes out of this experience. And most importantly for you who are sitting there going, well, I don't get along well with people and I don't play well with others and there's no one in my immediate experience and I just abandoned my friend group and I just walked away from my job and I can't ever hire somebody that sticks around and believe me, firstly, you're not alone in that. I said all of those things because I get to coach people on that all day, every day. <laughs> but third, he goes through this very, very detailed example of his first mastermind. And it is completely fictitious, albeit, you know, real characters. But in his mastermind, he had Abraham Lincoln. He had Thomas Edison, who was actually alive at the time. And he was able and writing this book to share this experience with them. But essentially, he created like his own 12 apostles. And before he went to sleep every night, Neville Goddard, imaginational techniques, he would imagine sitting down with this mastermind and bringing an idea to the table and everybody would debate it. And he said, you know, eventually each one of these imaginative characters started to come in with their own personality tics. Like as an example, Edison was always late and wouldn't sit down till everybody else had sat down and would often get up and like pace around the group when they were discussing and debating ideas. And so I share this to say, you can create your own mastermind regardless of what physical bodies are in your experience or how you feel about actually engaging with real people. The power of this mastermind is in the creative imagination. It is in the infinite intelligence that you are able to access when you bring in different elements to create something new. He suggests when you do create a mastermind with real people, or I guess without, I mean, I, I kind of added that last bit, but you know, create a group of people that will enable you to carry out your plan. Decide what advantages and benefits you will bring to this group. Arrange to meet with this group at least twice a week and maintain perfect harmony with each member of the group, which is simply to say, make sure that you are owning how you're showing up and that you are not creating any resentment, any regret, or bearing any ill will to any of these other members. And that's the power of the mastermind. I truly believe this is why the mastermind has become such a hot topic. But what he talks a lot about in this book as well is that every single successful person that you look up to has their own mastermind. They have a small group of people they meet with regularly to discuss their plans and their, their action plans in terms of creating their desired end result. So I didn't number these. I probably should number these. I think we're at like number six right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven is decision. And this is a quick one. Decision is simply the mastery of procrastination. Decision is deciding to take an action or not to take an action, but rather than like lumming and awing and feeling guilty and bleh, you simply decide to go to that plan of action and take the next step. Now, that might even just be simply revisiting this resource or this podcast and going, I don't know what to do next. I don't have the balls to do what I'm supposed to do. I don't feel good about what I'm supposed to do. I was actually just listening to this podcast before recording this while I was working out. And this, the line came up, mood follows action. 
And the thing is, rarely are we ever going to want to do the thing that creates change in our experience. You actually just have to take a baby step towards it. And once you instill that behavioral change, then your mood shifts, then the desire shifts around it. And I don't ever want to say, I mean, this feels like, you know, capitalism and hustle harder and colonial values and, and all that stuff. But also when we're trying to change our habits, when we're trying to change our experience, when we're trying to call in like totally new, unknown desires, it might feel a little scary. You know, look at look at the six basic fears or the 10 causes of failure or, you know, the alibis that Napoleon Hill discusses. That could very much be some of the thoughts that can simply be replaced with other thoughts to qualify as action towards your desired end. Oh, and then no surprise here is step number eight is persistence. The sustained effort necessary to induce faith, step number two. And Napoleon has, you guessed it, an eight-step process for how to cultivate persistence. It starts with a simple purpose. Then you add desire. Then step three is self-reliance. So self-reliance actually shows up a lot like auto-suggestion, but simply the belief in your ability to carry out a plan. You don't have to believe you're going to achieve the end result. You just have to believe you can follow a plan. Definiteness of plans is number four, i.e. the organized knowledge, the organized plans, even if they're shit. (laughs) Even if it's like one, wake up. Two, look at my plan. Three, tune into my desire. Step number five is accurate knowledge. So knowing one's plans are based on experience and and or observation. Turns out if we feel like we're just guessing, that actually can destroy our persistence. So, you know, do a little bit of research. Maybe that's step number four and you're like, I have no idea how to do this plan is, you know, wake up, create a plan, tune into your desire, research your plan. Cooperation, which is just, again, really trying to create harmony through bringing together these different elements. So if you've got this whole action plan and you're hating every step of it, that is disharmonious. Create a whole action plan and maybe just get comfortable with the first step. Lean into that desired end and bring it through for the first step and then check in. Is this harmonious? Number seven is willpower, which is just concentrating on the thoughts you are experiencing while building on and enacting your plan. And number eight is habit. This is when the mind absorbs and becomes a part of the daily experiences upon which it feeds. Napoleon suggests that fear can be cured by repeating acts of courage, as in setting a habit to take courageous action. And courageous action can simply be taking one small step towards your desired end. Even one small step each day where you're reframing your thoughts and feelings around that step until it feels good, until it's in harmony, will absolutely yield the skill of persistence the eighth step in the 13th step stretches. Now he gets, like I said, we, we start to build. So he talks about the power of the mastermind as the ninth step. The power of the mastermind being ideally you've called in people who are different than yourself, people who are bringing in different levels of experience, different wisdom, different skill sets. Maybe they do the exact same thing just in a different industry. But by combining this intelligence, their experience and wisdom, and then also bringing to the table 
your action plan, what's working and what's not, you're tapping into this infinite intelligence. You're creating an entity that is completely unique and new in this mastermind. And that is going to increase not the chances of your success because you, you're going to be successful. It will just exponentially expand and amplify your success. And I think also your speed to success. Now, step number 10 is a little funky. This one definitely tripped me up and it took me a few reads to really kind of understand. I think mostly because it's called the mystery of sex transmutation, but also because I might be a little bit dirty on the like pers- the portrayal of how like sex and the desire for sex is expressed between the masculine and the feminine and in society in general like you are not complete unless you're some like horny sex priestess creating like these sensual spiritual orgasmic experiences with everything that you do and you know men desire and women create and there's just there's a lot of like dialogue and and energy around it which I am clearly still working through so full disclosure there I'm definitely still working on that now what I will say is in my repeat readings of this what I do like about Napoleon's breakdown of the mystery of sex transmutation is this idea that if you think about sex just as like the most physical expression of desire, if you can put that energy into what you're doing, if you can attach that energy to this desired end result and to what you're creating, like that is the ultimate recipe for success. You're taking your thought plus this level of desire to create your action, it is, it is guaranteed success. And he talks about the 10 mind stimuli. So this is also what helps break it down. Like it's not just sex. It is also love. It is also a burning desire for fame, power, financial gain, music. Obviously, that's what rang my bell. No pun intended. Friendship, a mastermind alliance. And also, this is interesting, mutual suffering. So oftentimes you'll hear people talk about their trauma or particular pain points and how that pain was transmuted into this desire for their success. If you can apply like the power of sex, that emotion or desire or physical state, that level of heightened stimulation to your imagination, to your desire, to your faith, to your decision-making, to your persistence, to these masterminds, you could imagine how powerful each one of those activities and actions would be. He also, and I, I kind of liked this balanced approach to this analysis as well, but he talks about two destructive stimuli of the mind, one being fear and the other being narcotics and alcohol. Yes, you can absolutely create an excessive amount of stimulation that will also drive excessive action and results, but it's not sustainable. I talk about this as level two, that sort of bully force binary energy where you're almost like threatening yourself or you're manufacturing these experiences. I think that's where the sort of narcotics and alcohol, I used to see this all the time working with artists, that they are manufacturing the power of sex or the power of music or the power of fame or even the power of suffering through external 
narcotics and in doing so creating this heightened emotional stimulated state and then applying that to their action and again getting like pretty crazy results but but very unsustainable so that's how i'm interpreting the mystery of sex transmutation we're, we're kind of jumping ahead here but something he talks about is that with this application this extreme stimulus of the mind and an and emotional mind as well to create this heightened sense of desire that combined with action yields incredible results when you have that heightened state of stimulus for your creative imagination napoleon hill says this is when the sixth sense a faculty which marks the difference between genius and an ordinary individual is stimulated. So we'll get to the sixth sense in a, in a minute because that's that's the 13th step. Mystery of sex transmutation is what Napoleon qualifies as the 10th step. And to summarize in BZ terms, it's just a heightened level of stimulus and an emotional state that you can apply to your planning, your thinking, your imagination, even your desire to then create action. The 11th step is the subconscious mind. And this is where I'm going to kind of start moving pretty quickly because the subconscious mind from Napoleon Hill's perspective is what links all 13 steps. We touched upon it a little bit earlier. It is what is processing 99% of your experience. So if somewhere on your subconscious, and this is when he actually in the book gets into what we really talked about in part one of this episode, the fears, the causes of failure, the failures in leadership, what I just touch on, the destructive levels of stimuli, that's all happening on a subconscious level. Without awareness, and until you've really gotten to this step, you don't have any control over that, according to Napoleon Hill. So it's in this analysis, it's in recognizing there's a gap in my desired experience and where I want to be right now. Let's go back through the first few steps. Mastery of desire, faith, auto-suggestion, specialized knowledge, imagination, organized planning, decision-making, persistence, the mastermind, sex, transmutation, we get to the subconscious mind. And why this matters is because our subconscious is creating all sorts of shit in our reality. And the energy must be transmuted from physical desire and contact into some other form of desire and action before it will lift one to the status of genius. It is in your subconscious that Napoleon Hill believes the genius emerges. And we all, according to this framework, have the capability of genius, but it is accessible only through mastery of these 10 steps and a certain level of fluidity and trust in your own thought process where you are tapping, not just tapping into, but actioning on these hits of inspiration and ideas. Now, this is all happening in your physical brain, which is step number 12. And you might go, well, how the hell is 12? <laughs> how is my brain something that I can turn on or turn off or treat as a skill or practice? And this is where it gets woo AF, my friend. Napoleon Hill literally defines the brain as a radio receiver for infinite intelligence. He talks about it like any radio station where in order for a sound to be transmitted to a receiver, it must be stepped up. And what that means in terms of frequency and wavelengths is that a certain level of power is added 
to the wavelength to increase its velocity so that it can be received from a further distance. Now, you could call that psychic powers. You could call that inspiration. You could call that your creative muse. But according to Napoleon Hill, once you have mastered steps one through 11, then your brain becomes a tool that allows you to translate your prayers, your desires, this infinite intelligence into a present message that can then be played back and enacted through the form of a definite plan so that you can procure the object of your desire. What the what? <laughs> like, here and just imagining like dudes, a bunch of old white dudes sitting around a table in the 1920s talking about your brain and how it is a radio transmitter for infinite intelligence and psychic powers, I thought was pretty fucking cool. Which leads us to our last step, the sixth sense. And if you're listening to this, I have a feeling you have your very own definition of the sixth sense. But Napoleon describes it as the principle through which infinite intelligence may and will communicate voluntarily without any effort from or demands by the individual. He suggests once we have mastered steps one through 12, we can turn on our genius. And we do this simply by enacting on any hunch or hit or download that we get by receiving it through a set of ideas, plans, and desires that flash into the mind. Again, like I've heard these concepts regurgitated in so many different forms. I love this because it's a step-by-step -step framework. He gives you step-by-step -step steps <laughs> within each framework. And then he also, like discussed in part one, tells you what could potentially get in your way and how to move around that particular obstacle. You don't need any money. You don't need any tools. You don't even need any skills to start enacting on these plans, this framework, to start applying this to your experience now. It is not about physical action. And if any of these words are tripping you up or triggering you, firstly, like why? But secondly, supplement a different word. And that's what every single one of these knowledge economists has done is they put this into their own terms. And so when you hear me saying like they're copying or they're biting from or they're white labeling or they're regurgitating, what I just mean is they're making it understandable and they're making it resonate for them and therefore their audiences. You can do exactly the same thing. This book has been around for over 100 years because it works for some people. So I obviously dig it. Thank you so much for listening. These are far out, man. These are two episodes that this one, I'm at an hour. <laughs> so grateful that I broke it up. That was a hit. That was a ping that I acted upon. If you stopped listening a long time ago, you're probably not listening to these words coming out of my mouth hole right now, but there is a very robust cheat sheet and resource that'll walk you through all of this. So don't feel like you needed to take, I should have said this at the beginning, you don't need to take notes. There's a whole cheat sheet for you. It is included in the show notes. Any questions, any book suggestions, and especially if you'd like to actually start meeting in real time, most likely on the interwebs via Zoom, but I will absolutely start organizing meetups once we hit a certain level of participation. Holla at your girl. You can find me on socials at the BZ channel. Email hello at Nicole BZ, website nicolebz.com. 
at the time of recording this, I have just been asked to host a whole series of masterminds, which are invite only by the Angela Gallo, aka Angel Phoenix. So that is taking up a lot of my time. I do have a workshop coming up by the end of January 2022. Hopefully that will be available for replay on your definition of success. Usually we are working towards someone else's definition of success or a very outdated version of our own definition of success. So rather than setting New Year's goals and resolutions and la la la, I much prefer to just simply check in with myself and reevaluate where am I? Are my values still in alignment? And what is my definition of success at the end of this year, month, project, partnership? How will I know I've been successful? Obviously, I'm going to get a lot more into it and give you some specific frameworks <laughs> for success. But it should be a lot of fun. I always like to do these things over a glass of wine in the evening. I used to host them at bars because, man, if you're going to talk about personal and professional development, might as well do it in a place that is, I don't know if development's the right word, but lubricating <laughs> the faucets of our mind. I think that means I'm done. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really excited. I got through my very first book of the Quantum Business Book Club. If you're looking for explanation on why the Quantum Business Book Club or what quantum business means to me, tune into the first episode. Or let me know, should I have an intro for these? I, I don't say hello on the telephone. I can't imagine recording a fucking intro that you have to listen to the same shit every fucking episode at the beginning of these. But quantum simply means something might be multiple <laughs> different forms in one moment, or we could potentially be in multiple different places in one moment. And by tuning into someone's hundred-year-old ideas and words, we are time traveling and potentially quantum leaping in our own experience and business and desired results. So a very non-eloquent breakdown at the end of two hours of talking. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for listening. Share this, like this, review this, you know, all the things. Bye.